0: perception doesn't tell the whole story. What you can see is not it. Without faith, the things that we hope for aren't real. Unknown, mysterious, doubtful, and yet it says that Abram went as the Lord told him. One small step for man, one giant leap.
1: This is 12, verses 1 through 7. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, leave your, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, and his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants, And Abram built an altar there, dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God had promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead, a nation with so many people that, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. All these people died still believing that God had promised them They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them.
0: Thanks, Ken. <coughs> Good morning everybody. Especially Cochrane clan. <laughs> um so something fascinating, I stepped in dog poop this morning and I washed it with soap and I still smell it. So Here we are. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Um something else that fascinates me, um I found that there are certain phrases and uh, ideas, and just like little little catchphrases that get uh, caught in our brains as a culture, and you know even even bigger than that. But uh, they get used and riffed on, and you know they use them in everyday speech, sarcastic little sayings, uh, stand-up comedy, sermons. Um, but what's fascinating to me is that most of these phrases, not most of them, but a good chunk of these phrases um, aren't actually real. Uh, they're misquotes. So, for example, <clears throat> the, the queen in Snow White, which, you know, they call her Wicked Queen. They never give her her real name, Grimhild. So, you know, you kind of become what people call you, right? Um, this is not a defense of the Wicked Queen. But we know her phrase so well. Mirror, mirror on the wall. right? But she doesn't actually say that. She says magic mirror, which that's just not very poetic. So <laughs> mirror, mirror is better. Um, or appropriate for our current moment, right? Luke, I am your father. But he says, no, I'm your father. He never says Luke. Come on. Or this one. You want the truth? Well, you can't handle the truth. Nicholson never says that first part. And closer to home, our very own Neil Armstrong famously said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. (coughs) Except he actually, uh, there was some transmission interference. And what he actually said was, that is one small step for a man. Much more grammatically correct, but definitely not as catchy. So uh, misquotes. But there's one misquote that I really don't find very fascinating. And uh, it's one that I hear more commonly than any other. And it's a misquote of Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is a little bit before what Ken read this morning. So Hebrews 11.1 1 is, in my experience, the most misquoted verse in Scripture, uh, which is a shame because Hebrews 11 is this incredibly powerful chapter in an important book, and it ties together the whole of Scripture into this one word, into faith. And so when people ask, what is faith? Appropriately, they, they look at Hebrews 11.1 1 because it gives a definition for faith. But if you misquote it, you miss the point. And I don't know where uh, the misquote came from because I looked through almost every translation, and there's only about three, and there are thousands, um, that use it. But somewhere along the line, Hebrews 11.1 1 became a shorthand for this phrase, faith is certainty in what you can't see. So, in essence, if you're unsure or if you have doubt, if you don't have absolute psychological certainty, you don't have faith. And the problem with this is that it's literally the opposite of what the verse is saying. And so, uh, I'm not going to get too far into the weeds, but Hebrews 11:1 1, gives a definition for faith. It says, faith is, and then it gives two things. And the hint is that it's it has nothing to do with rational certainty. So um, there's some Greek just because. And the two words that we're going to look at are hypostasis and elenchos. So the first word, hypostasis, is a word that means uh, it's the essence of something. It's it's the substance. It describes the reality of something. It's something that truly is. The opposite of this would be something that seems to be. It's our our perception of something. So to make this more clear, um, imagine you are out on a Californian surf, sitting on your board a quarter mile out from the sand, soaking in the sun. You can stay there for a second if you want. But imagine something in the water what do you perceive right um shark and for me you know have we've all seen soul surfer and i i can't play guitar one handed it's just not this is not a good moment for me but if you know your marine biology this is actually a dolphin so we're all good so in this story the hypostasis is a dolphin. Even if our perception might say, shark, I'm never leading worship again, uh, the reality is that it's a dolphin and you can go on your merry way. So in this context, Hebrews is saying that faith is what gives hope its reality and substance. Faith gives hope its substance. And a different way of saying that is that without faith, the things that we hope for aren't real there's no reality to them so maybe maybe this analogy will help a little better hypostasis is like a fixer upper home all right so at first glance our perception says it's a broken down money pit it's probably full of mice nests and i'll probably get tetanus just from breathing in the air but hope sees the bones right it sees the restored arches and the exposed beams and oh the shiplap oh so much shiplap but hope on its own has no substance it's just a dream a vague idea something abstract but faith is actually getting out the blueprint it's driving to lows it's the aching hours or the aching neck after hours of painting in the same position it's eating pb&j every day because you spent all your bank account upgrading the furnace system. Faith is what gives hope its reality. It's the actual participation in the hope. So this this doesn't have anything to do with psychological certainty. It's actually embodying and living out the hope that you have. So that's hypostasis. Faith gives hope its reality. So that's the first word. The second word... Elenchos is a confidence and a conviction. It's a word used in the context of a court case. So it it points to the kinds of evidence that would persuade you. So you've got, you know, someone's presenting a case before you, and they've got three different points. Which one do you choose? So Hebrews is saying with elenchos that faith is, is putting your confidence in the eternal and the divine rather than just limiting it to what you can see. It asks the question, what gets the final say? Your circumstance or what God has promised? And so faith is not anti-information or anti reason or academic, I see that all the time. That's not what this is saying. But what it's saying is that perception doesn't tell the whole story. What you can see is not it. So altogether, Hebrews 11.1 goes something like this. Faith is the realization of our hope and the choosing of trust when we can't see. Faith is the realization of our hope. It's the making of it real. And the choosing of trust when we can't see. put it slightly differently, faith makes our hope real, and it comes as we choose to trust when we don't understand. Uh, I heard someone say it like this, uh, kind of the relationship between our perception and faith. Perception and kind of understanding is, it can get you all the way to the edge of a cliff, but it cannot actually take that jump. So faith is not against reason, but it necessarily goes beyond it because faith happens in that moment when there's no understanding. There is no reason to lean on. Faith makes our hope real, and it comes as we choose to trust when we don't understand. And so why why is that such a big deal? Why is that so different? The, the misquote says that faith is certainty. And so certainty is this absolute knowing, no doubt, no unknown. And I think that is such a dangerous connection. To make faith the same as certainty, I think it's really wacky. And in my experience, it's not just kind of weird, but it's also painful. I think it it can really distort our view of God. One of my professors in seminary has a book called uh, Benefit of the Doubt where he goes a lot more into, into this kind of stuff. But there's uh, an image in there that I found. I think it just hit the nail on the head. So in thinking about this kind of wonky view of faith as certainty, he calls it a certainty bell, like at a carnival. You know what I'm talking about, where you hit it and it rings the bell? This is what he says. If the strength of your faith is measured by the intensity of your psychological certainty, then the way to increase your faith is to try and push doubt aside in order to make yourself certain. And in this sense, exercising faith is something like a psychological version of a strength tester game at a carnival. You are, in essence, trying to hit a faith mallet as hard as you can in order to send the faith puck up the faith pole to get as close to the certainty bell as you possibly can. So it's a funny image, but I think the results of this are incredibly destructive. I've seen it make people blame others and themselves when prayers go unanswered. Keeping on shame for not having enough faith can cause us to be small, narrow-minded, fearing that new information might cause us to question what we know about God. And then, if we do have a question, which we're going to, we assume that it means we don't have enough faith which leads to these endless cycles of shame and guilt and anger and doubt until we reason our way right out of relationship with God. And for me, this is not some, like, theoretical map. Um, It's what I see all the time, especially in this generation. It's just, it's all over the place. And it's based on an idea that's not even true. Because we are not called to certainty. That's not what Hebrews 11 calls faith. And so the definition of faith actually means that we're dealing with significant amounts of unknown. Or to put it this way, if there was certainty, faith would be unnecessary. If you were certain, there would be no need for faith. And so thou is not the enemy of faith. Or as the third greatest poet of all time, no, sorry, of the 20th century. Don't want to give him that much credit. uh, Khalil Gibran, he put it this way. Doubt is a pain too lonely to know that faith is his twin brother. It's a pain too lonely to know that faith is actually his twin brother. And so faith is this act of choosing hope and living it out in the midst of a circumstance. It's putting our confidence in the eternal and not just what we can be certain of. Which means that the unknown is an essential element of faith. The unknown is an essential element of faith. So this morning, Ken read the example of Abraham in Genesis 12. I imagine that statement would ring true for him, the unknown. Back when his name was Abram, the Lord called him into this powerful promise to become the greatest family on earth. You know, no big deal. And through him, every single family was going to be blessed. That's the promise of God to Abram. And at that point, Abram was 75 with no kids, an endless family from a childless old man. Unknown, mysterious, doubtful. And yet, it says that Abram went as the Lord told him. Abram went as the Lord told him. What's more, Hebrews tells us that when Abram set out to follow God, he didn't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. And that, that is faith because we're dealing with unknown. And unknown is this essential element of faith. And so I'm, I'm wondering if that is something any of you can resonate with in this moment. Is that where you are right now? <laughs> For me, the start of every year is filled with um, fresh expectation and promise, um, anticipation. But along with that, there's also this this kind of underlying fear and anxiety and maybe even this like resignation that maybe this year is just gonna be like the last and maybe nothing actually changes after all. Or maybe you see an invitation forward. You feel a call somewhere knowing God has something for you. Maybe marriage. (laughs) But not knowing exactly what that looks like. If faith meant certainty, the next step would be to gather the information, collect the data, analyze the steps, make your 10-year plan, and wait for that moment of certainty to arrive like a dove but it doesn't come. So please, you know, gather data, make informed decisions, involve your community, let them shape you. But if you're waiting for this moment of certainty, that's gonna, just not gonna come. And that's actually not faith, that's also, that's fear. Maybe you're in a different place. Maybe there's, so much pain and darkness in your current moment that you're mostly just struggling to get out of bed. Your decisions are, should I eat today? Trying to decide what's the best way to distract you from your pain. But wherever you're at on that spectrum, the message of Hebrews 11 is simply to take the next step. It's to follow the example of Abram. When God called, he didn't know where he was going, but he went. Imagine if that was the description of your life. When God called, they went. They took the next step. And I'm as surprised as you, but recently Disney preached this exact sermon in their most recent animated film, uh, Frozen 2. So uh, I'm trying not to give the plot away, but there's this moment in the film where Princess Anna is trapped in a pit and she's certain that she has lost everything and everyone that is important to her and it's this really dark moment. And in the depth of her depression, she sings a song.
2: Can there be a day beyond this night I don't know anymore what is true I can't find my direction To this next breath Then I'll make the choice to hear that voice and do the next right thing.
1: Not to cry. So let's start there. Um, Ralph and I were talking um, this week in about the service and um, the thoughts he wanted to share and asked if I had a story that might connect to um, (laughs) what he was gonna share. And I said, yeah, I I do, I do have a story. Um, And so I'm gonna share that a little bit with you today. Um, Yes. So this fall has been pretty hard. Um, The fall semester was really hard for us and our family. Um, My mom was diagnosed with cancer in October, um, and not one of the good ones, not that any of them are good, um, but it's uh, inoperable, and there are lots of questions and lots of unknowns um, with mom's uh, illness and her diagnosis. and so our family has been uh, wrestling with that. Um, she started chemo um, like two weeks after the, or a week after the diagnosis, and um, she is currently doing chemo, and she's she's doing okay. Um, but that was really uh, challenging uh, for us as a family. Um, the day we kind of kind of knew it was happening, um, but the the day we got the official diagnosis. Um, uh Megan and I went with her to Chicago, um, uh, and then after the diagnosis, we were heading home, and Megan and I talked in the car some, and then we talked more um, later that day. And in my opinion, she and I had the most uh, discouraging um, and hard conversation we've ever had in almost 15 years of marriage. Um, so that was real convenient, you know, uh, the day you hear about your mom's cancer, um, and so we get the diagnosis um, on that day, we have this conversation with Megan, um, and now that kind of sets in over the next few days, and then it seems like over the next couple of weeks, all of the other ways that I am uh, broken and um, in need of repair, all of that just also came kind of flooding in, just broken relationships with family, the ways I relate to my kids. Um, several recurring um, struggles I have in my own heart and even just my poor view of myself at home and at work and just being a Christian. All of that just kind of overwhelmed me. Um, And so all of these things kind of piled up on each other was really, really overwhelming. Um, Other than mom's cancer, though, none of those other things were new. None of those other things were new. Um, The conversations that that Megan and I had was just another derivative, derivation of hard conversations that we've had over the last 15 years we've been married. Um, and the other things, uh, just relationships with my family and the kids and my, my own heart, uh, all that stuff is, none of that stuff was new, those, none of those struggles were new. Um, and so it was really frustrating, uh, really frustrating, discouraging, um, I'm 41 years old None of these things have changed. It's like, that's, that's how I felt. It's not true. Actually, lots of things have changed, and God has grown me a ton. But that's how it felt to me, um, and that I, I was really h- hopeless, um, truly and utterly, uh, for weeks. Um, not really expecting God to do anything, not thinking he can do anything about any of this. Um, and I didn't know how to even... Get out of it, um, and so. Megan and I kept talking because. When you're married, you have to do that; otherwise, you're not married anymore. And so, we kept talking, and was, it. Was really hard, um, and it was like the last thing that I wanted to do was to keep talking, um, but I felt like that's all we could do, and that felt like the next right thing, um, and so uh, I didn't know where I was going, uh, because we've had the, all these conversations before, over and over again, and it was just frustrating, and some of my own, uh, my own kind of wrong thinking tendencies w- in my relationship with her just kept flooding back and was really overwhelming, even in those conversations, and we just kept having, kept, just kept talking, and um, it seemed like there was movement and growth, and um, understanding and that was really good um and I, kind of me kind of understanding the things that uh were contributing to the problem and the distance that really had kind of f- come between us and so um we were at a, a restaurant um and we're actually having a good conversation and then the thing something came <laughs> something came up again and i was like ah and all i wanted to do was like st- not have that conversation. It's like, I do not want to have this conversation again, Um, but I felt like God said, you need to, you need to stay here. So I I, I stayed, uh, not like leave, like leave, but just stay in the conversation. Um, And so we kept talking, um, and I kind of shared what was actually like really going on in my heart. I didn't really want to do that. I shared, and that felt just like what I needed to do, but I've (laughs) done Done that a ton of times before, and all this, always the same results. And Megan shared some things and said very similar things that she said to me before, um, but there was something different that time. There was something, and it was this, it was God's spirit in her, God's spirit in me. Something clicked and totally flipped. And I, this broken way that I have kind of thought about our relationship for so long, is gone. <laughs> It's just gone. And we, 15 years, we've been having these conversations, and it's gone. Because I just did the thing I felt like I needed to do that I didn't want to do. Um, but I did it anyway. Uh, because that's all I could do. That's all I knew how to do. Um, you know, uh, mom... We're going back to Chicago uh, in a couple weeks for a scan and to see what her tum- the tumor's doing, and um, I-, I don't know what's going to happen with that. There are-, there are tons of unknowns about that, and we just have no idea. Um, but Mom's been really helpful to remind us that uh, of God's promise of always being with us, um, and that they-, they keep saying a lot. We'll just take it a day at a time because. When you're on chemo, you're, you're just, you really, you don't feel good. She already didn't feel good, um, and so she's feeling worse and tired, and some days are better than others, and so they just keep saying, well, take it a day at a time, and I, my kids are in the room, I don't like to use this word. I hate that. I don't like it at all, um, because I don't want to take it a day at a time. I want to know what's going to happen to mom, and I, I can't know. Nobody can know. The doctors can't know, and so that's literally all we can do. It's all Anna could do when she was in, oh, sorry, spoilers. When she was having a hard day and she sang that song, all she could do was do the next thing. And so mom goes to chemo again on Tuesday, and then we wait a week and we go to Chicago, and we we just have to keep doing the next thing. And all the other stuff going on and swirling around in my heart and my mind, I'm seeing a counselor, and that's been really good. I want to tackle all of the things all at once, and I get 50 minutes with this person. That is not enough time to get to all of the things that are going on inside of me. And so I just have to keep going back uh, and keep addressing it uh, one thing at a time. Uh, and I think um, what God has done um, has renewed my faith. Because um, He does promise to be with us, and He has been with me, and He has been gentle and kind in the midst of all of this, and there is, I feel like there is hope again uh, in my life, and all of the the things haven't been figured out. Uh, Megan and I uh, are in a a really good space right now, but it's not all figured out, Uh, and all the things that I'm working through are not all figured out, but I have hope and trust that God wants to renew and restore all of those things um, in me. And that he will do do that. Um, In Hebrews, uh, it said that I don't know if you caught this, but it said in verse thirteen of chapter eleven that um, Abraham and a lot of these other men of faith, men and women of faith, died um, still faithful because they never got to see the fruition of their hope. Uh, He, uh, Abraham, looked at a distance and saw that what was coming, and he and he welcomed it. the, The verse says. We aren't, we, there aren't certainties, uh, like Ralph was saying. And we're, we don't always even see the outcome of our faith and each, next, each doing the next right thing, we don't always see the outcomes of those things. But our faith is bigger than that. I like, I think Ralph said this early on, that faith is our participation in hope. And um, our faith makes our hope real faith is simply taking the next step, trusting that God is indeed the keeper of promises.